Today we uh, begin a new series in our sermons together. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. So this is a bit of a season of prayer for us as a church. <coughs> if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that. Uh, we've been working through some prayer meetings together. And as we uh, work up to the launch of Fish Ponds in the next few weeks, we're going to remember that God works miraculously and somewhat mysteriously through the medium of prayer. Uh, and that we need to uh, both personally and corporately take prayer very seriously. Um, I'm guessing it's one of the things that, as believers, we find most challenging, and yet it's also most defining of what it means to be a believer. So I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 6. These will be familiar to you, I'm sure. Um, there's two places in the New Testament where uh, we read about the Lord's Prayer, or the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Um, and one is in Matthew 6, the other one is Luke uh, chapter 11. I'm going to read from verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and praise your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Uh, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh, I think it's a familiar passage for many of us. Um, even if it's not, even if it was at school you heard these words, you probably have heard them. I was in um, medical centre last Monday morning early. You wonder what pastors do early on a Monday morning. Well, I was having a blood test. It was, it was pretty early and uh, the nurse was very kind. And um, she, uh, she straps my arm up, you know, and uh, I did a few manly fist pumps, you know, you're supposed to get your veins up, aren't you? And so I had a go at that, and it didn't really work. And she looked at me and she said, have you drunk much water this morning? And I said, no, it's early. I haven't drunk much of anything yet this morning. Um, and she couldn't find a vein. And she knew immediately what was missing. Um, and it was something very fundamental and simple to fix. Um, it was just that I hadn't drunk water. And so that my, whatever that meant, like I'm getting lost at this point. I, I'm looking at a sea of doctors, so I'm not going to go any further right now. Uh, she couldn't find a vein, and she said it was kind of drunk much water, and I believed her. Um, she, couldn't find, she couldn't find life. Um, I wonder tomorrow morning when you're sitting at your desk or you're wherever it is that you are, and another file drops on it or a phone call you have to make or some decision you have to make, and you think, where's the life? Where's the life that I need to do this thing? And whether what's missing for you is not just some water, which would be easily solved, but just as simple and vital, just as much as we're supposed to drink these two liters of water or whatever it is a day that we're supposed to drink, we need to pray. God has given us so much in Christ by his Holy Spirit. He is longing and loving to include us in his plans to, to change the cosmos, to bring about the rule and reign of Jesus in the earth. He loves to do that. He wants to include us in it. And they, he's given us everything we need, the Bible tells us, for life and godliness. He's given us his own Holy Spirit. He said, without measure, 
I'll pour up my spirit into you. There's nothing stopping you receive, receiving this power. He's given us his very words. Everything that he has given us is good for us. It's healthy. It means that we can be strong and know the victory that Jesus gives. And one of the ways, one of the main ways is given to receive this power is through prayer. And so tomorrow morning or whenever it is you're next thinking, where's, where's the life that I need? What might be missing for you is just, well, wait, have you prayed today? Have you done the simplest, most defining thing that you can do as a believer? Have you come to him and have, have you prayed? Because he's, it, it, you know, we don't like telling each other what to do, do we? We don't really like that. And in our kind of churches, we don't really do that. We kind of put principles out there. I'm really talking about myself. And we, we hope that people will kind of get it. But brothers and sisters, we need to pray. We need to pray believing that that prayer, that method, that action of coming to God humbly and coming to God with real faith and petition will affect change in our lives, in the lives of those around us and in this great city that God has called us to reach. If we're going to help Bristol believe, we just won't be able to do it unless we take prayer seriously. It won't happen. We can have great programs, and we do, and people work hard week in, week out to make sure things work together, to make sure all these three services, somehow are they going to work together, and is the preacher going to get to the right place at the right time? Maybe. But listen, all of those things, good as they are, are not the fuel that makes this thing run. It's the power and presence of God which comes around when we pray. That's why it works. It is a mystery. Why can't it be some other way? I have no idea, except this is what Jesus did. And what did Jesus say? He said, follow me. Didn't say, give me your heart. Lots of things he didn't say. He said, follow me. And then he prayed all the time. We'll look at that in a moment. So, God has called us. Jesus has instructed and led us to pray. I often wonder this, you know, the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? They saw something in him in terms of his own prayer life that was fundamental and foundational. They saw something that directed and shaped his life, and that was prayer. They recognized it, and they asked him about it. I sometimes think if Jesus was in the room, you know, physically here, and I had a moment with him, I might ask, I don't, I'm not sure, I think I would ask him, like, how did you do the one where you spat in the mud and you put the stuff, oh, how did you do that? What was that? How did you do the one, you know, when you cast out the demon? And, you know, how did you, I think I'd be asking those questions. And yet, it's not recorded that the disciples really asked that, but they did ask, how did you, how do you pray? And clearly, I think, because all scripture is there for us to learn from, it's not just random, well, surely there surely were more pressing or interesting questions you could have asked. They saw the connection for Jesus. They recognized this is fundamental to him, and if we're going to do these things which we want to, and we need to get the fundamentals right. We need to do the things that are important to him. And this, of course, was important to him. In Luke 5, we read this. Yet the news about him, that's Jesus, spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him, and he healed their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. And I think if the crowds are coming, what do we do? We build a bigger room or we make a bigger tent. We don't go somewhere else. And yet Jesus demonstrated something of humility, something of priority. Being with his father was the absolute priority. The source of power, the, the, the kind of centering for his life. So many things were happening as Jesus prayed. Prayer, although we read here, 
Jesus went to a lonely place. We also know that Jesus invited people into his prayer life. We know that uh, in Gethsemane where he's asking his disciples, come pray with me just for an hour, just for an hour. It's not that long. Just come and pray for an hour. Could you not pray with me just for one hour? And the beginning of this prayer that Jesus teaches is our, our Father. It's our Father. He could have rightly said, my Father. When you pray, pray to my Father. But actually, he says, pray to my Father. You know, one of the ways to understand what it means to be a believer, to be a, a Christian, is to be adopted into his family, uh, to be chosen, to be part of. In other words, you're not by rights there by, your, by birth, but you are born again into his family. In other words, something else happens to you, and you get invited in. My sister, as many of you know, um, has, has adopted four Bolivian children. And the process, as I know some of you have personal experience of this, the process is challenging and full of emotion. Uh, but when that child is adopted, they really belong. They are in. And they now have a mum and a dad who really are their mum and dad. And you have all the rights of inheritance. And all, when, eventually when they get it sorted out, passports and everything, it all works. Why? Because you've been adopted into that family. And the other thing that happens when you're adopted in is you have others and brothers and sisters who have also been adopted in. When you pray, say, our Father. This is a community activity, something we do together. So when we gather to pray, it's not just I get the stuff done with my God that I need to get done with him. It's that together we find the will of God. And we often find that in prayer meetings that God speaks to us, even sometimes we've not particularly gathered for that. So when we gather uh, for uh, you know, our, our worship times, our worship evenings that we used to call something different, but now we call city worship. There are moments there where God speaks to us and it shapes us as a church, directs us. Why? Because he's our father, speaking to all of us as his children together. And God has the ability to do that. God even has the ability to say specific things to our whole church and it comes down to an application for you and I. What an amazing father we serve. He can do that too. And so we gather together to pray because he is our father. You see, the Lord's Prayer is not a mantra or a talisman. It's not a it, it, it's the framing of a relationship. It's a reminder of priorities. It's a conditioning for the soul, an ordering of the mind, a preparation for a day, a preparation for battle. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. Jesus didn't say, this is what you pray. He said, this is how you pray. It wasn't intended that we would just rattle off the Lord's Prayer as a kind of, well, that's what I do and I've done my prayers now. No, this is a shaping of, of an approach to God. It's supposed to shape each of our days as we approach God in this way and help us. And as we said before, it's to how we receive something of the goodness and strength and power of God to live as he's called us to live. I think my first experience of the Lord's Prayer, although I was raised as a, a Christian, was at school. And um, I went to a Church of England school, quite a small village school. And every day we'd stand together and sing some old hymns. I can't remember what they were. But I do remember that we, we said the Lord's Prayer every day together, all together. And it actually meant less than nothing at the time. It really had no meaning at all to me as a child. Um, and what, so what we used to do was, because you're like, how do we make, how can we make saying the Lord's Prayer more interesting? Is what we would do is see how many times we could say it under our breath and the time it took everyone else to say it once. And so they'd say, ah, Father, and you'd be racing through it, like, quietly under your breath with the person standing next to you. And I don't remember ever getting caught, um, but that's how we did it. But <clears throat> listen, Jesus said this, when you pray, say, Father. I want us to look at that, just that aspect, that opener, that beginning, that approach 
to prayer, that understanding of who we are coming to and how we are to approach him. As I said, it's not a chant, it's a language, a framework for approaching God. Now, before we go any further, let's just say this. We live in a, a culture which increasingly and aggressively wants to minimize the difference between men and women and our mothers and fathers. It just wants, doesn't like it. And it, what we're being taught is that what we have here in, in all the differences that we might champion is we have socially constructed differences that are, because they're socially constructed, they are therefore uh, oppressive and we need to be free so we just throw them all off. And so when we start talking about fathers and mothers, suddenly we can react a bit because culturally we've been conditioned to do so. And I want to address that just very briefly. Listen, before we, we do that, there is some truth in every social movement and every kind of thing that comes to us. And we need to recognize that when those differences are championed against one another, when they're used to oppress, um, then we need to reject them. But when they come counter to what Scripture teaches, we need to reject them for that reason too. And Jesus said, Father. So we need to, with great confidence, say Father. And so even when we're talking about the distinct roles of mother and father in a family in a church, it can sound, un, it can sound unenlightened, it can sound old-fashioned. But because the Bible teaches this and Jesus taught it, we need to stand against the cultural flow and recognize, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to do what the Bible teaches. I'm going to stand firm on this ground. You might think, though, even in the midst of this little sideline, why don't we just say parents? Wouldn't that be easier? That's offensive. Why don't we just say parents? And what about, and, and with that thought, we might say, yeah, what about all the people in the room, you know, who haven't come from that traditional family? What about people whose dads were abusive? What about people who, when you say father, all it sums up for them is negativity? And I would say, yes, we want to recognize the challenge that some have faced, but also believe that when Jesus said, when you pray, say, father, it came with a weight of meaning and with a wave of blessing for you that if you can get the metaphor the other way around, in other words, sometimes, and, and even those of us who had good dads, good fathers, they still were nothing like our Heavenly Father. Just a dim reflection, even on their best, you might be a good father. Listen, on your best day, you're a dim reflection of something that God is. And we need to get that the right way around. And if we, if we with courage and help, prayerfully can do that, there's real blessing for us in approaching God as Father, even if that's a challenge to us. When you pray, said Jesus, say, Father. Now, I've got a few reasons, 14 of them. We're going to rattle through them quickly, so don't worry. It sounds a bit daunting. Why would we say, why would Jesus ask us to do this? Why would he say, say, Father? What does a Father do? What's unique? And what's unique about our Heavenly Father? What is he doing? What's it about him that we would want to say, Father? first thing a father does is a father gives life. Now that's kind of physiologically true, we know that, but it's also true of our heavenly father. The life that our heavenly father gives is life that just begets life as it goes. You think of creation, everything kind of produces after itself. The kind of life that he brings, brings life to this planet, but actually brings a kind of life for the whole cosmos as he sustains all of its power and immense size and scope. That is our father he gives life so when you pray say father is a father who gives life that helps us already when i'm praying doesn't it especially if you, your prayer times go like mine 
know, your beginnings, sometimes it's like, whoa, how's this going to go? I'm not feeling like this. I'm coming to a father who gives life, breathes life into, who sparks life and sustains it throughout the whole cosmos. I was reading a little publication called Love Science, and many of us would have read this kind of thing, what the kind of scope and power of our father is. Just reading it this week, let me read you this about the scope and size of what, what God has made our closest star is, apart from the sun, is Alpha Centauri. I know you all knew that anyway. It's 25 and a half trillion miles away. That's far. It's far. <laughs> and this website was kind of postulating, how long would it take to get to some of these places if we were to go there, if you were to kind of go there? And, and they reckon that the, the fastest thing that we've created is NASA's Juno spacecraft. I'm assuming that's still the case. Some of you rocket scientists will tell me that it is or isn't. And that this rocket can travel at 87,000 miles an hour, which is faster even than James drives, uh, usually, mostly, I think. At that speed, it would take 33,500 years. <laughs> and I think that, I, that sounds very short to me. It still feels like a long while. We're never going to get there. He also made the stars. And he sustains it. The Father gives life. When you pray, say, Father. This is who we're coming to. There's some reverent awe about the Father who gives life, isn't there? Some amazement in the power and breadth of who he is. Second thing about a father, a father initiates. He speaks. Now, I don't know how you think you, you came to be a Christian, if you are one today. Um, maybe you think you woke up one day and thought you had a great idea. I'll go to church. I'll go to an Alpha course. Maybe that's what you thought was happening. The Bible teaches something different, actually. The Bible says that might have been your thought process, but actually you had no power to even think that or to be interested or to approach God at all because in Ephesians 2 it says as for you, you were dead you don't, you, there's not much you're not offering much are you if you're dead in fact nothing at all I think but God who is rich in mercy made you alive God initiates so when we pray we say Father we're coming to a God who initiates life he starts, he begins, he breathes life, and he initiates a process that gives us confidence. Some of us are a bit more timid, maybe. Sometimes we're not great planners. We come to a God who initiates, a God who speaks. It's important that we get that clear. We come to a God who leads. God leads us. Father leads. And we see that particularly in the Old Testament, don't we? We see that, remember we were, uh, a couple of years ago, we were looking through uh, kind of Israel's journey out of Egypt and towards Canaan and how before them in the day was a pillar of cloud and at night a pillar of fire and how God led them. God leads us. This is who he is. This is a father leads. So our father leads us. So when you come to pray and you say, Father, the expectation is that God will lead me even in, as I pray. And that often happens. Sometimes I come with a list of things. I think these are things I need to pray about and my prayers go off in a different direction. Often that happens. I find myself praying for something I never intended to pray for. Why? Fathers lead. Our Father leads. And when you pray, say, Father. Father disciplines. A good Father does that. Hands up if you're a father. Hands up if you've had a father. Hands up if you know something of a discipline of a father. <laughs> As I got older, even older, I go back and have gone back to my own father and said, thank you for disciplining me. Do you know what? As the Bible says, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but it reaps righteousness. And as earthly fathers, some of you I know because you, you're just new fathers and 
it's kind of, oh, wow, what's happening right now? It's a bit of a surprise, and very quickly you realize, wow, discipline is a big part of this is discipline. Because why? Because you see things that your children can't see. And you know where the paths lead that they start down. And so you want to direct and shape their futures. And you're protecting them as you discipline them. And a good, good discipline does that. And the Bible tells us that he, he says, it, it, the Bible says, doesn't it, endure hardship as discipline. It says that in Hebrews. Endure hardship as discipline. He's treating you like sons and daughters. It says, in fact, difficulty in life often is not a sign that God has left me. It's proof positive that he's involved passionately and intimately in your life right now. Because that's what fathers do. And of course it's not pleasant. This discipline is not pleasant. It's shaping. It, it makes me do things I don't think I want to do. But actually, it reaps righteousness in you. And goodness. And health. And happiness. And security. It reaps all those things. Why? Because a father discipline. He does. And he shapes us. When you pray, say, Father. Coming to one who cares enough to tell you when things aren't going right need to receive that from him as father fathers protect jesus looking at jerusalem said this how i long to gather you and that's kind of a, a female attribute i guess in many ways but also a fatherly one who's got chickens wow more here than dad but okay. have you ever seen a chicken they fluff themselves up and all the chicks run underneath when there's a threat and jesus was using that kind of picture how i long to gather you like a mother hen we gather the chicks. You can't even tell how many are under there because they're protected under the shadow of the, their wings. And uh, we see something of that, don't we, in Jesus' love for those people, for his, his people, the Jews. But we also see that as, as a father, he protects us. He does that. He leads and protects. Fathers protect. When you pray, say, Father, you're coming to one who is inclined to protect you. And he protects you too from the answers to those prayers. I, I, I'm so grateful that didn't, God's not just said yes to all my prayers over the years. And as I was just preaching this up the road, I was thinking about some relationships I had way before I was married, thinking, Lord, thank you. He said, no, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you said no. I was desperate that this was the right thing. You knew better. Because fathers protect when you pray, say, Father. Fathers challenge, don't they? Fathers bring a challenge. And the Heavenly Father is no different. In fact, he's the defining one who brings a challenge. In Isaiah 6, uh, God is speaking, saying, who shall we send and who will go for us? So it speaks out. Who's going to go on our behalf? Who's going to speak for us? And God does that to us, even as we come to pray. shapes our destiny, shapes our thinking about the future as we pray. And we should expect that of a father. You know, I was chatting to the guys this week and they said, share something of your own story. And I thought, oh, no one's interested. But anyway, we'll give it a go. So I remember um, I grew up in a family which was, um, my dad was a very successful businessman. And the, and the plan was that I would follow him into the family business. And that's what I was intending to do. That's what the plan was. That's what the hope was, I think, certainly. And then as kind of a, a, a teenager, God spoke and God led and God challenged and so I sat down with our pastor and I sat down with our, my dad and my mum and we said, now, is this really God? Is God bringing this challenge to this young guy? And we decided, yes, it was. And so I didn't follow. Now, who knows, I might not have been any good at it, but that was what I was going to do. Um, but actually, God led us, led me into the challenge that he laid before me to do this, 
to lead in his church to preach the gospel of Jesus. And I followed him. And I still try and do that today because fathers challenge us. When you pray, say, Father, coming to one who challenges. God, the Father, provides all good things we hear come from God above. And we're often praying as a church together. We're praying, Lord, provide finance, provide uh, people, provide leaders, provide buildings. Where's our confidence when we come to pray? Is it just a hope, well, maybe God will dish something out? Maybe, you know, maybe he's got some left over? No, it says the Bible, it says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He says everything in the earth belongs to him. So when we come to him, we come with confidence to a father who's inclined to provide. We know that as the Israelites walked through the desert, and um, where's the food coming from? The manna came down from heaven, and the quail, the meat came, and water came from the rock, and God provided. Why? Because he's a father, and fathers provide. And this is the defining father. So when we come, we can come with confidence to a father who will provide. And that's true for us personally. Maybe there's one or two who need provision right now. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's finance, maybe it's a home. We'd love to pray with you at the end of our meeting just that God will provide. Why? Where's our confidence? He's a provider, he's a father who will provide. Fathers send. Fathers send. Um, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors from the Father. He has sent us out into the world to speak the truth about Jesus to all around us, to demonstrate a life which is devoted to God, to demonstrate the gospel through how we speak and how we live and how we love each other. And he is a God who sends, he is a Father who sends us out. When you pray, say, Father. Father's plan. It's a Father who plans. And when we ask God for direction, we're coming to a God who is a God who plans. And we know that from passages like the famous passage in Jeremiah 29 where it says, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Now that's, that is an instruction, a promise to a whole nation, but it applies to his church and his people. The Bible also says that he lights our way and guides our step. It says before a word is on your lips, he knows it completely. It says all the days mapped out for you, he knows them. He knows them. He's a God who plans. Father's plan. If you're a hopeless planner, like me, you're very grateful that we have a Father who plans. He does. And sometimes I think, you know, in our modern age, we are, we, we are kind of more planners by nature these days. And we feel like you know, a good, a well-organized thing is important. And then I read the Bible and I realize that God is shaping and planning the lives of people who had no five-year plan. They had no idea what they were doing tomorrow. They didn't know where they were going. But God shapes them. And I, I know, reflecting on my life and the lives of people I know dearly who followed Jesus for years, God shapes and directs. Why? Because he's a God who plans. He's a God who knows the future. And he's able to call it into your experience. When you pray, say, Father. Father's plan. Father's rescue. Those rebellious Israelites constantly disobeying God and finding they're reaping the bitter rewards of their rebellion. Their enemies would come in, they would lose their connection to God, they would find themselves under attack. And again and again and again, Jesus or God the Father would raise up someone to lead them back because fathers rescue. And this father rescues. When you pray, say, Father. Fathers believe. I think one aspect of earthly fathers that is so important, particularly believing fathers, is this. Fathers believe more about their children than children believe about themselves. 
And in believing more about you than you believe about yourself, you call it into the present. How do you do that? You do that through encouragement. You do that through opportunity. In all kinds of ways, God is full of belief. And that sounds strange, because don't we believe in God? Yes, we do. But we know this about love, don't we? God is love. Love always hopes, always believes. And God believes in us. He believes in his church. He believes in us as individuals and corporately together. Fathers believe. When you come into God, you're not coming to one who I'm trying to persuade to help somehow. If only I could just twist his arm enough. No, he believes in you. He believes in his power in you to affect change. Think about Jesus going down to the, the docks, the fishing yard, and calls those disciples, a few teenagers. He says, come and follow me. And effectively he's saying, come, let's change the world forever. It's a bunch of teenagers. And he believes in the power of God in them. And he's right, absolutely right. Even though they're a ragtag bunch of unhopeful, unlikelies, he changed the world. He believes in you. He believes in his power in you. He knows what he can do. You guys, you're amazing. You're an incredible bunch of people. I read somewhere this week, it was a C.S. Lewis quote, you will never meet an ordinary person. You just never will. Never. You're not ordinary. And listen, that will be true even if you weren't believers. But my goodness, you have the power of God at work in you. You are extraordinary. Just like those disciples were. You could do incredible things. Father believes that about you. When you pray, say, Father. Fathers encourage. They give courage to. They add courage to the person. So often it's a lack of courage that stops us doing things, isn't it? It, We we get to a point where, ah, fear, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm not sure I could really go for that job. I'm not, I'm not, crumbs, I just, I'm, I lack, what? I lack courage. Fathers encourage, and the Father encourages. He adds courage too, and he does it by his spirit and his presence through his word. He does it through the body of Christ too. You guys encourage each other. There is a rich soil in church life which makes things work, and part of that makeup of that soil is encouragement. And if you're willing to feed into that, you'll find those, those around you doing incredible things because you're adding into them something that is robbed away by the spirit of this age, which is courage to believe him. Fathers, encourage. When you pray, say, Father. And finally, and most importantly, fathers, forgive. Fathers, forgive. And if you're a father, you know that's a big deal. And you, the, best, the best forgiveness comes from those who've been forgiven the most. Jesus even said that, isn't it? You, if you, you don't love much, you've not been forgiven much, but you, those who love much have, know that because they've been forgiven much. When you become aware of the horror of your own sin and that he has done away with it forever, my goodness, whoa, it's like, it's, there's a, such a lightness, isn't there, in your spirit. If you haven't known that, again, we'd love to pray for you so you would experience something of that. The horror of your sin, the horror of who you really are or really were has been removed entirely and he has poured his goodness and light in because he is a father who forgives. The clearest example of this and the clearest example of what a father is really that Jesus gives is the parable of the prodigal son. And we won't go into it, we've completely run out of time, 
but he is watching on top of the house, waiting for the sun to come back. Just that tiny sign, the distant sign of remote repentance, and he does the most undignified thing just an older man in that culture does. He hitches up his kind of skirts and he runs. And before hardly the words are out of the prodigal son's mouth, and he's drawing him in, he's rings on his fingers, he's clothing him, he's, he's having a party because he's a father who forgives. He's longing and longing for you because it's love. Fathers forgive. When you pray, say, Father. So what would we conclude? We conclude that that approach to God is so shaping of what com- everything that comes after. Saying Father encompasses all those things. And so when you pray, say Father. And just when we finish, I'm going to just tell you off. I'm going to tell myself off too. Because brothers and sisters, when we pray, we don't say Father. We say, hey God, sometimes. Or, 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 or God. Or, and, and I know we do it sometimes in a mixed gathering. We're trying to find our little moment. And the prayers sometimes are coming thick and fast. But hey God is not approaching with reverent awe to a father like this. But more than that, actually, it, it weakens our approach. It lacks the faith and depth and breadth of all the things we've talked about. And I've said this to you before, and no one took a blind bit of notice. So I'm just saying it again. <laughs> when we pray, say, Father. Now, technically, theologically, we pray to the Father in the power of the Spirit, and we come in Jesus' name. That's kind of technically how we do it. Some of us find it easier to pray to to Jesus. That's fine. But here Jesus is saying, when you pray, say, Father. And in the word are all the things we've talked about. So it fuels and broadens and deepens our understanding of prayer and what it is. We come to a Father. In fact, we come to a Holy Father. And we'll look at that next time we are together. Let's stand together, shall we?